Luke chapter 19 and verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have uh, cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay you back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you very much. Well, as we start, um, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these words in the Bible and how we pray this morning that we would see more clearly what you're like and that we'd recognize how wonderful that is. Amen. Now, as we begin this morning, I'd like you to remember an occasion recently in which you've lost something. Maybe you don't have to think back too far that even as you left the house this morning, you found yourself thinking, Where's my phone or my car keys? Or maybe like me, you've walked along the road, as I did this morning into church, and I saw on the lampposts posters that someone had lost their cat and they were looking for their cat. Or maybe it was more serious. It was a passport. Sorry, that sounds as if I don't like cats, doesn't it? But maybe you're going on holiday and, and you, you, you suddenly realize you haven't got your passport. And you're going through all the drawers. You have to look through all the suitcases from the recent holidays. And you just can't find it. And how do you respond when you've lost something? Maybe it begins with frustration because it's such a common thing for you. Ugh, not again. Or maybe it's the blame game. Who moved my phone? Or maybe it's just that panic as you see the clock ticking and you, you know you've got to be out of the door. And so your, your blood pressure is rising and your heartbeat's going up. And there's just that sense of panic. I remember as a young child, my mother losing her wedding ring, and we turned the house upside down. I have to say, I think that was not so much out of love for her, though I do love her very much. I think it was because she offered us £10 if we found the ring, which in, which in those days was a prince's ransom. But what if when I said to you, imagine something that you lost, it wasn't a something that came to mind, but it was a someone. What if the, uh, the, the face on the poster that you see is actually your child, your godchild, your brother, your sister? Well, that raises the stakes, doesn't it? Because if you turn the house upside down to look for a ring for a £10 reward, would anything be too much? Would you stop at anything? to look for a missing person 
if they were close to you. Our reading concluded with these words. The Son of Man, that's Jesus speaking about himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It's Jesus in his own words. It's, it's, if you like, his mission statement. And it's not a bad place to begin if we want to understand what Jesus is really like. But it's also true that it'll help us to see ourselves more as we really are this morning. And we'll see both of those things as we zoom in on the character in the middle of this episode in Jesus's biography recorded for us by Luke, Zacchaeus. Have a look down verse 2 where we're introduced to him. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. Perhaps Zacchaeus' day had begun like any other, setting up his tax collector's booth. It wasn't the the kind of place that uh, you would have visited. It wouldn't have been on TripAdvisor's top 10 things to do in Jericho. It was the kind of place you'd only go to hand over your money through rather gritted teeth to your own countryman who was working for the occupied forces of the enemy. And then he'd cream off a percentage of the money. And so, yeah, he was wealthy but he was wealthy at your expense. But if the day had begun perhaps as usual for Zacchaeus, something was different that day. Maybe it was the buzz on the street, the cloud of dust that he saw coming towards him, the the sound of footsteps, the, the chatter of excited voices. And as the crowd passes, he grabs the catcher by, and then it all becomes clear to him. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. The man of the moment, everybody wanted to see him, to hear him. Everyone had an opinion about this man. And yet for Zacchaeus, there's a problem. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And who would let a tax collector through the crowd just so he could have pole position? It's a little bit like how it was for our family as we stood on the mall for the Queen's funeral procession. And no one would let even a small child through to get to the front because everyone wanted to be at the front for pole position. And the youngest in our family had to take a little collapsible stool to stand on so he could see over the crowd. And perhaps Zacchaeus was hoping that day to be close enough to be able to say in the future, I was this close to Jesus when he came to Jericho. Or maybe it was more that he, he didn't want to be too close. He wanted to be a safe distance. To be, able to, be, to be able to say, yeah, I was there that day, but not to be too caught up in things. Either way, verse 4. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now let's pause there and just ask ourselves the question. Who's seeking who in this story? Well, it seems like rather an obvious question to ask, doesn't it? Because here's Zacchaeus, he's doing all the running. It's Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. And it often seems that way to us when it comes to God. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. You'd say, well, I'm curious. I'd like to know a little bit more about Jesus. And then suddenly verse 5 turns things on its head and helps us to see that actually appearances can be very, very deceptive when it comes to the things of God. Verse 5 When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. And can you imagine the shock? How does he know my name? This man who's just passing through, this man who everybody wants to meet, how does he know my name? We like the music stopping in the funeral procession on the mall. And, uh, and Prince William, rather than marching forward, he, he turns aside and he comes and it's, and it's me. And he says, Anthony, I want to come to your house for dinner. Impossible. Very easy for us to assume, isn't it, that humanity is somehow seeking God. That that's the great quest that we're all on. And that he's hiding and leaving us to seek. And it seems such a fruitless task. And the Bible says, no, in reality, God in Jesus has come and written himself into the drama of our lives. That he has come looking. And instead that all too often we're the ones who are hiding. And to the extent to which we, we do genuinely seek after God, it's only because he was already seeking us. One hymn writer put it this way. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. And if Zacchaeus was shocked that day and must have almost fallen out of the tree to be called by name, well, the crowd, they're outraged. Look at verse 7. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Of all the people, Jesus, you could have chosen in Jericho, why him? Why on earth would you be interested in him? It reveals that their heart doesn't beat in time with Jesus's, because he comes to seek and to save the lost. Now, perhaps we can grasp why that would be good news for Zacchaeus, collaborator with the enemy, outcast in society, rather lacking in friends to talk to and to hang out with. But lost isn't a term that I'd use to describe myself, maybe. Lostness can make it sound, can't it, very much like a, an accident. It's what happens when, when a small child lets go of their parent's hand in the supermarket. Or where you get separated from your friends in a stadium. But the reality is, for, Zacchae for Zacchaeus then, and for people like us today, very different, that lostness is no accident. When it comes to God, no, rather, it's the result of the daily decisions that we make that put distance between us and the, the God who made us and the life he intends for us. It's a distance we may or we may not feel. It's not something subjective. But it's something very real. Perhaps with Zacchaeus, it was the money. It's not that money is intrinsically wrong. Money is a, is a neutral thing. And yet it was never meant to be the North Star in any of our lives. Any more than our family, our, our career, our reputation, our sporting ambitions, our academic aspirations. Never meant to be the North Star. And yet we have this extraordinary ability, don't we? To take the good gifts of a generous creator God. And to make his gifts our gods. 
the things that we daydream about, the things that we pour our time and our energy, our hearts into, and put our hopes in, and build our lives upon. And then we wonder why those gifts can't bear the weight of being our gods. And in the process, God, the great giver of all things, gets pushed. Pushed to the margins, further and further from the rightful place at the heart of the lives of each one of us who he has created for friendship with himself. And we end up lost. Far from God and far from the life he intended for us. And it's obvious to see, isn't it? You only have to pick up a paper or look at the BBC website. Or dare I say it, even think about the way our own lives play out. To know something of that lostness. And yet everything changes when Jesus comes to town. Verse 8. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Here is this extraordinary picture of, of somebody who has spent his life grabbing for himself as much as he can. And now he can't give his money away fast enough. Jesus is standing in front of him. Why live for something as small as money? When the God of the universe is standing in front of you and calling you to friendship with himself. And can you imagine the cues at the booth the next day as the word has gone round, Zacchaeus is giving money away. And you think, well, something strange has happened here. And people going and the, and the cues there and you, you get in line for the cash handout and you get to the front and he says, yesterday I met Jesus. Yesterday I met Jesus. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come. This man has joined my family, not because he's given his money away. Salvation has come because Jesus, the Savior, has come. And the evidence is seen at once in this man's life. There's something, there's someone more important than money. There's a new north star in his life. Now, some people make the mistake of thinking that you have to get your life in shape before coming to God. Well, Jesus calls Zacchaeus as he is, knowing everything about him. And in that, there must be hope for anyone, for everyone. Other people make a different mistake and think that they can come to God and stay as they are, as though Jesus can be added like a, a sort of app to the home screen of their life. But the reality is that he's far more like an operating system than an app, if that's not too impersonal. That he sits at the center of everything. Without him, nothing works. That nothing finds its right place. That everything else begins to find its right place in relationship only to him as planets in the solar system orbit the sun. And so he changes everything. Our attitude to money and how we spend it, 
to relationships and how we conduct them, to goals and how we set them, to our identity and how we understand it. So much so that people in the world out there, they should look at the lives of those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus and they should be puzzled by them and go, why would you live that way? Because Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost and being found by him changes everything. Now, it's important to grasp that when Jesus talks about this lostness, he's not speaking about those who are facing an existential crisis or the feelings that I might have had in in Freshers' Week of feeling a little bit like a fish out of water or far from home and my friends. The problem is far deeper. We're far from God, and having lived a life without him, we face a death without him and an eternity without him. Without God, without hope, that's what it means to be lost. It's the inevitable consequence of holding the author of life at arm's length and doing it day after day after day. Because apart from the author of life, there is only death and the absence of hope. And yet the solution is far more wonderful than we could imagine. Because God takes what we have broken and he says, I will fix it. I will put right what you have put so disastrously wrong. And Jesus, God become man, is passing through Jericho, as we read in verse 1. And he's on his way on a journey that Luke tells us earlier on. He set out resolutely for Jerusalem. Because that is the place where he will fix what we have put so badly wrong. And it wouldn't cost him 10 pounds like my mother's ring being found. But everything. He lived a sinless life. And he died a death he did not deserve to die. And he hung on that cross to die a death that I deserve for holding the author of life at arm's length, and yet wanting everything good that comes from his hands. And as he died, he took my place. So that rather than being lost for all eternity, I might be restored to the friendship with God for which I was made. And he did it for me, who made his gift my God's. He did it for me, whose lostness was no accident, but a deliberate choice that I made day after day. Zacchaeus couldn't have grasped it that day, but Jesus was en route to that very death that would enable him to hold out the hand of friendship and to open the door to a whole new future for Zacchaeus. So that from those wounds on the cross might pour Not just the blood of the Lord Jesus, but friendship and hope and forgiveness to somebody who had no claim upon them. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And I say comes because it would be possible to read this and to think that somehow we were talking about ancient history when the reality is Jesus is still in the same business. 
And that this building is full of people who you could ask over coffee and you could say, tell me your story. How was it that Jesus came to seek and to save you? People who cannot believe that Jesus knows every dark corner of their lives and yet walked that road to Jerusalem and died that death so they would be found and no longer lost. And if that's you this morning, doesn't your heart sing? Doesn't it beat just a little bit faster? To know that you're loved with a, with a height and a breadth and a depth that many people spend their life chasing but never experience. The relationship in which you discover your full humanity by which the, the doors to, to life with God now and forever are thrown open. That even in the midst of great sadness, of Fred's death this last week and, and the sadness that his family experienced, there is hope that he knew to be real. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And as we close, I just want to, I, I want us to consider what would it look like for you to believe that that was true? What would it look like for, for that to be the thing that got you out of bed in the morning? For that to be the thing that made sense of the whole of your existence? Verse 6, you'll see it there. Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. And you'd do the same. That's what it looks like to, to know that you're lost and to believe that Jesus has come to find you. Because the more conscious you are of being lost, the more gladly you welcome the person who's come to find you. And unless and until you're convinced that you're lost, well, Jesus, you'll never pay more than a passing interest to him. That's how you spot the person who believes that they welcome Jesus gladly. That happened to my wife, Nicola, one night in her first year as an undergraduate a few years ago. I say a few. It was many, but a few is a kindness to her. And she was invited by a friend in college to, to a meeting that took place in the building just through that, the other side of that little courtyard. She thought she was doing the seeking that night. And as she went, and she went with a, a crowd of others, and she sat down, she was astonished to see in the Bible that she wasn't seeking after God. That she'd spent her life running from him. And that she was lost. And that night she realized she wasn't a neutral spectator. And she couldn't believe that the God of the universe, in the person of Jesus, had come into the world to find not just people in general, but to seek and to save her. And that night it was as though she was in the tree and he was at the bottom. Other, other way around. No, that's the right way around. And it was her name on his lips. Nicola, come down. I want to come to your house today. And maybe this morning you're conscious that it's your, it's your name that Jesus is speaking. 
That for too long you've been up in that tree thinking that somehow you're a neutral observer and that you can just sort of look and see what's happening. And he says, no, I've come for you to seek and to save you. Well, don't come if you're not prepared for a change. Having him at the center changes everything. But don't fear that change. Don't fear getting out of the tree. In all my years of knowing Jesus, there has not been one day in which I've thought, I wish Jesus hadn't come to seek and to save me. Only the opposite. How grateful I am. How my heart overflows with love for someone who would do that for someone like me. And never have I met the person who says, I wish Jesus had come to find me a little bit later in life. How do you spot the person who believes Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? Because they welcome him. They welcome him gladly. And then they begin to share in his mission. That they find that bit by bit their heart begins to beat in time with his heart. That they're passionate for the, for the lost. That they want to seek and save them too. And to live for Jesus is to share in his heart. And to make his mission ours. There's great joy at the heart of this story as the lost is found. And yet one of the great tragedies of it is that it's lost on the crowd. Who just complain about it. They don't share in it. What about you this morning? You share in the joy of the lost being found? Remember where we started. Picturing something that was lost. The frustration, the anger, the panic. And sometimes, of course, tragically, those things are lost forever. But the God of the Bible, he's so very different. When he comes to seek and to save the lost, he always finds what he's looking for. So as we finish this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. It's a prayer you'll see on the screen. It's a prayer that that really anybody could pray. You may have been following Jesus for 50 years. This is a prayer that you can say. And you may be sitting up a tree this morning. And it's a prayer that you too can say. But just in a moment of quietness, perhaps read it through on the screen. Then in a moment, I'm going to read it out loud. And if you want to, you can say amen with me at the end. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to seek and save me. Thank you that you came knowing what that would cost, your death in my place. Thank you that because of that I can know forgiveness today, friendship with you every day, and one day the prospect of being with you. Help me not to make your good gifts my gods, but rather to live with you and for you. Amen.